when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Hey guys, Sari Delamont here. This is a recent Facebook Live that we've uploaded as a podcast. Enjoy. Okay. We good? We are. Okay. As we wait for people to come on, you just told me something that I um, did not know. That wasn't planned. Tell our people. What did you say? Tell them. Sorry. Share with them. That you were on Saved by the Bell? Yeah. Yeah. You didn't know that. This whole time. She literally... Where do I look? Right up here? Yeah. Okay. Where's my eyes? Yeah. I was on Saved by the Bell. So um, I thought you knew. I did not know. So we're in our hometown, my hometown. Well, maybe uh, we should maybe we should introduce everybody. Well, yeah, you guys see here I go. We're having way too much fun. Hi, everyone. Hi. Sorry, Delamont. Those of you who don't know, why wouldn't you know? This is the amazing Jesse Wilson. Yeah. We are so excited. We're having such fun in LA. We've come together because we basically decided we needed to meet each other. After talking on the phone several times, we thought, let's do this. So we are here. We're here in L.A. and it worked. And so, it worked. Yeah. And we decided to just get together and chat up trial and talk about y'all. So if your ears are burning, we're talking about you. Um, and so as we were just sitting here waiting for the Facebook Live, um, Jesse just told me that you were on Saved by the Bell, and I have no idea. Yeah. Okay, who was your character? So Nasty Neil, the hall monitor. Okay, I have yeah, to go back and, and watch and this And this now. started because I said I haven't worn my hair this long, I think since high school, back when I was like on Saved by the Bell, and I just thought you would know. It wasn't like me trying to, you know, be weird about it. <laughs> so we started talking. Yeah, so I was 16 years old, um, uh, and I grew up like less than 10 minutes away from where we are, the Roosevelt Hotel, and mm-hmm. acting was, you know, my whole life. And I was on, I was a regular, well, I was going to be a regular on on, on Saved by the Bell's yeah. Nasty Neil. And then they thought that my character was too much of a bad influence on kids, so they killed me off. So they, and, well, they knew you then, me. really. What's that? They, 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 they knew you were they back knew then. They knew the real Jesse. They were smart. They, I couldn't hide. Screech killed you? Okay. So the episode is called Screech's Birthday, and we face off, and um, he shoots me with a ray gun right in the stairs of, um, of, a, of, of the high school, and I turn into a smoldering pile of ash, and that was the end of Nasty News. Well, Junho is saying, hey, he's glad he made it, and uh, he thinks he recognizes you. <laughs> you have Saved by the Bell fans, Jesse. You know, you got to use what you got. So, um, yeah. Hey, Bobby, thanks Hi. for joining us. All righty. Well, today we're here to talk about performance mastery and what it is, because this is what um, Jesse and I have been geeking out about over the last day and a half about talking about this idea of performance, what that means, and what mastery means, and put them two together, we have performance, performance mastery. mastery. Alrighty, so why don't we talk about that? Uh, you know, those of you who are with us live, why don't you go ahead and put in the comments what you think performance means, and even more so, what your thoughts are about that word. Does that feel like a negative word, or is that a positive word? I mean, how do you, I'm gonna move this just a little bit because I feel like my head's out of frame, there we go. Um, how do you define that word? Because I think as we were talking about it, it we noticed right off the bat that so many of our clients, um, and let's talk. Let's take a, a step back. 
tell us a little bit about yourself first and how, who you are and what you do and what you work for those of the people who on here don't know who you are. Yeah, well, in the world of, um, of litigation and lawyers and all that, I am a jury trial consultant, a communication specialist, jury trial consultant, but my background is in theater. Mm-hmm. In case that wasn't obvious, we can say by the Bell story. I <laughs> uh, grew up right here in my hometown, Hollywood, California. Was a professional actor for a number of years, and then that switched into teaching, and everything changed for me. I'm giving the very, very brief, um, skinny version of that uh, when I started working with inmates. I did a theater behind bars program a number of years ago, and that was a game changer for me. And it wasn't too long after that that the guy I worked with happened to know the person who was running a legal conference, and then bam, I started working with lawyers, and I got invited to cases, and before I know it, this became a full-time job because I loved it. I love it. And so um, I spend about 80% of my time now um, as a jury trial consultant. So that's it. I'm going to say hi to Debbie joining. Hi, Debbie. Welcome. And um, so, Hi, Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> Debbie, I don't know if you know Debbie. She's a TLC gal, so you may have run across each other. If we've met and I forgot there. your name, I, I apologize. All righty. So um, we are technically competitors, and we no. got together and thought – um, this is way too much fun, yeah. and we have so much um, to share together, which we are cooking some things up. We're not going to yeah. tell you today what that is, but um, we're teasing you today with some of the things that we're talking about. Junho has said he thinks of performance as entertaining your audience. That's something we talked about yesterday, right, in that you were saying that jurors, for better or for worse, expect to be entertained. Talk to me about that. I don't know if they expect to be, but I think they want to be. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's a good distinction. Yeah. 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 If they've ever been in trial, they know it that they can't expect it. It would be hard maybe for them to admit that, but I think, yeah, what's this going to be? And mm-hmm. there's an entertaining factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you're just joining us, we're asking you to post in the comments what you think performance is. You know, we have been talking about this and, and between our, we have these kind of four things that show up with all of our clients. Yeah. What they think about yeah. what performance is. I think so. And, and, and I don't want to steer the ship too much. No, and again, thank you for, for having me on here. This is really, really cool. But I, I, I would like to go back to the conversation that we had yesterday at Musso and Frank's. We are at Musso and Frank's. Are you jealous? It was really good. Not far from where Orson Welles sat and created you know, uh, Citizen Kane. It was really cool. It was very cool. It was really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And the conversation we were having, well, this goes back before I was even uh, doing theater, which was um, when I was a kid, all the way up to junior high, I was a violin player. Mm -hmm. And you were a classically trained. I am a classically trained pianist. Sorry, of course you were. (laughs) Yeah, you are. But but that was your, that was what you started with. That Mm -hmm. was your origin story. Right. And you shared something that, resonated with me the kind of un- the, the the uncomfortable secret of of what that experience was was like for you yeah the performing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and so we were talking about that and talked about this idea that you know as a classically trained pianist i have two advanced degrees in music most of you know that and um there wasn't a day in from when i was four years old all the way up through grad school that i didn't feel uh absolutely, you know, shaking in my boots, nervous, um, when I was playing the piano and I, it was so different for me when I, to be on stage as a speaker. I mean, that is a completely different thing. I mean, you just can throw me in front of a group right now unprepared and I'm all over it. And you said you had the same experience as a violinist. When I was a violin player, we're talking about maybe at the age of, you know, six, I think I started maybe even younger than that. I would give these recitals. And I would stand up in front of all these people and my hands would just be shaking, covered in sweat. Um, you know, I think they call it flop sweat. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yet that's not the same when I'm doing workshops. Yeah. It's not the same when I'm speaking. Mm-hmm. 
And it wasn't the same when I became an actor. Yeah, yeah. And we talked about why that is. Which I'm going to save because we're going to talk about what performance really is. And I want you to bring that back because I think that's a great um, point. But there's four things that Jesse and I have identified that comes up a lot for our clients when we talk about uh, what performance is. And the first one, automatically, people think of performance as inauthentic. Right? So if those of you guys are on with us thinking about this idea of performance as it's a show. And so we don't want to talk about what you do in trial as a, that means you're putting on a show. Would you right. say that's true? That's absolutely right. And what's another word for inauthentic that we hear all the time? Dog and pony show. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that's one thing I think that is a myth about performance, but a lot of people believe that, especially not, not musicians so much. I mean, when we say we're going to go out and perform, it doesn't feel like we're being inauthentic, right? But you, you take that word performance, you take it out of the realm of acting or uh, musicians, and now you put it with trial attorneys go, oh, yeah, wait a minute, right. that's yeah. inauthentic. That's I'm, right. I shouldn't be performing. I should yeah. be who I really am, which is what we're going to talk about in just a minute. But let's continue. The that's second right. thing that we find a myth about um, performance and that word performance is I've got to be perfect. It's got to, yeah, it's perfectionism. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, it's, it's only really performing, or at least I'm not doing it well unless it's perfect. It's a performance. It's mm -hmm. a polished, you know, mm -hmm. no flaws. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm walking the razor, you know, the, 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 or the tightrope right now. Which I think is why a lot of people also um, don't want to think about things like performance. Okay, we also think about this idea of the audience rejecting us or being an imposter. Who am I to put on me? this thing? Yeah, yeah. what are they going to think oh of me? God. Yeah, yeah. Who is this guy up there? Jesus. And finally, the fourth thing is it's a manipulation, right? Because I'm putting on this show, and you said snake oil. Snake oil. Yeah. It's, Charlatan. Yeah, a performance is you know, this shiny veneer of a person who's going to, to try to convince me of something I don't want to do. car salesman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we were talking yesterday and I said, so many trial attorneys believe that what you have to do is convince or persuade the jury. That's right. And, and what I thought was so interesting in our conversation yesterday is what we really were talking about is the idea that you have to persuade someone when they don't want to do what you want them to yeah. do. So why don't we just fucking cut out the middleman and just get them to want to do it, <laughs> right? Let's get rid of persuasion and influence and manipulation, and let's go straight to how do we get jurors to actually want to do it instead of trying to convince them or manipulate them into doing something they don't want to do. Why not just look at how do we get them to want to do it? That's right. So that brings us to what is performance? What is performance? What do you think, Jesse? Are we, and we've, you've asked some people, right? Oh, uh, we asked what we think they is. So Christy says, I think, think of performance as an elevated presentation. Yourself, but only bigger. Yes, Christy, that is where we're she went right to ultimately it. going. Well, yeah. It's been great talking to you guys. And that's our message. <laughs> and, um, have a wonderful day. <laughs> I mean, that's it, right? right. <laughs> Christy went right to it. Well, I think that uh, so plays in the idea of authenticity, is that people think, okay, if I'm I'm only this thing inside of this box, and if you ask me to do anything outside of that box, it's inauthentic. So, yeah, absolutely. So, sorry. So, okay, back in Lucy and Frank's were talking, but she asked me the same question. What do I think is performance? And uh, well, you said, um, I'm trying to go back to the conversation. So, do you feel like you're playing, are, are you somebody different mm. when you're in front of them? Mm-hmm. Is what I asked you. And I said, yes. Mm -hmm. And you said, well, you got to sell me on that. Yeah. And I said, well, let me clarify about what I think mm -hmm. is a something different. Mm -hmm. It's yourself and exactly what Christy said, only bigger. Only bigger. That is a role. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. That is a role that you prepare for. Mm -hmm. It's still you, but a bigger you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that is where we often see the big, the, the disconnect because wait a minute, I'm like this, you know, you know, I talk, I'm, this is how I talk to my wife. Mm -hmm. Look at it. Look at your hands. Yeah. Look at your voice. Yeah. Exactly. You talk like this to your wife. Now put that in front of 12 people. Does it translate? No. No, absolutely. I, I say the same thing with coffee. It's like we have these small gestures when we're out coffee, but this doesn't work in front of a group right. of people. It's just right. not big enough. Right. And yet we're not used you to use the big. word amplified. Mm -hmm. That's your amplified project. And I love that mm -hmm. word. It's amplified. It's you bigger, amplified, bigger, which right. is a role because we're not usually in that position unless you're right. going through life like this. Right. You know, most of us are not in that bigger space. Some do. <laughs> <laughs> Totally, yeah. totally. So let's go back to this idea of connection and dialogue because I think that's the, another thing that performance really is, is that we tend to think that performance is I'm giving something to my audience. And what you and I were talking about is that performance really is a give and a take. Yeah. It is a shared thing. Can you talk a little bit more about how that is, if, especially if you're the only one doing the quote unquote performing? How is it a connection? How is it a dialogue? So I remember um, at Juilliard, a great theater teacher of mine named John Stick said, uh, this was you know, years before ever got into the working with lawyers, um, who's, who said that you're constantly in dialogue with your audience. Mm -hmm. you, using psychodrama tools, they'll say, you're always in role reversal. Mel Orchard says that. He mm -hmm. said, you're always in role reversal with your audience, and I believe that. And that and the idea was, and this goes back to the theater, uh, is that at any point in the middle of a scene, if you and I are doing a scene together, we're in Hamlet, we're in whatever, Streetcar Named Desire, mm -hmm. we should be able to turn to the audience and say, is that working for you? <laughs> Did you really, really believe that? Yeah. Do you really believe her bullshit? <laughs> You believe my, you know, I mean, you should have that feeling with them. And of course, back in the sixties, they did do that. Mm. They were, they were breaking what's called the fourth wall, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's you on stage and you, and, and, and so how do I, how do I bridge the gap? How do I connect to them? But, but it really comes back to just <clears throat> a conversation that you always want to be having, even though you're the one doing the most of the talking right now. And that's the transfer from voir dire jury, you know, selection connection to opening well I think there's a, you have a great point there is that so often I talk about permission in my work and yes. and what we're after especially in the beginning of trial is to get a jury's permission not their trust because there's not enough to, to go on to give trust but yeah. are they receptive are they receptive to what I'm saying and so it's not like something that we can go to we communicate with them and they go is this working for you right. do I have your permission right, right. but you can read that non-verbally yeah. yes, you can right. read if people are with you or buying what you're saying and then adjust accordingly that's and right. in that way I think it does become this connection yes. slash dialogue yes. yeah. and I think we were talking about this in terms of musicians that's the one thing we weren't taught and it felt very one-sided yeah. right I remember going up and playing a um, piano piece in front of an audience for a recital and turning to the audience and saying I'm so nervous and I'm just gonna pretend that you're not here and then I sat down and played and I thought later I thought what a terrible thing to do to my audience because the minute that I said that they're thinking well then why the fuck am I here that's exactly right that's exactly right and I think there's another point and we, and we were talking about it is that it's one thing to have a dialogue with your audience and that's a wonderful state to be in but who are they to you mm-hmm yeah. 
That's a great point, and that comes out to the whole idea of who are they? Uh, the Wayne Dwyer, Dwyer, Dyer. Wayne Dyer. Wayne Dyer. Quote. Yeah. Okay, tell me this quote because I'm so stealing it from <laughs> you first. And so then the quote that I love, and I, it's like second. one of those things I, I I wish that I came up with because it's so simple. But it's it's it, what it's it is it speaks the truth of what we're talking about here mm -hmm. is that change the way you look at things, and the things that you look at will change. Absolutely. Change the way you look at things, and the things that you look at will change. It's it, a well, it's kind of like the same thing when I'm talking with my, my clients about how do you view jurors? Yeah. They view them as the enemy. So if you view the jurors as the enemy, they're going to show up as the enemy. But once you change how Why you're viewing they? them, yeah. then they themselves will change who they, who they are. Well, you know, yes. people respond to the message the way that we that's deliver it. it. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. And so I think that's actually really helpful to think about this in terms of performance piece. Because if you change how you're viewing performance, your performance will change. Completely. Yeah. So if Completely. you let go of the idea of perfection, if you let go of the idea that this is inauthentic, if you let go of the idea I'm trying to manipulate someone, and you just show up as your biggest, baddest self, that's going to change how it goes for you. And here's the thing. You know, does that mean that I have to know myself so thoroughly before I'm up there? Maybe. Maybe for some people. But... I think ultimately we want to get to a place where I'm seeing performance as nothing more than a, than a tool to give you the truth mm. in the best way that I know how to. Mm -hmm. And if that's the truth, then I'm not worried so much about perfectionism. Yes. That means that I get to show uh, the sacred struggle. Yeah, absolutely. I, I get to do that. And not only do I get to do that, that advances the story I'm telling. Mm -hmm. It makes me more credible and credibility is king in the corporate. Absolutely. We know that. And it makes you real. Yeah. And it makes it more fun because I'm not worried so much about, you know, the script, even though I think a lot of people think, well, you got to go up there and just go off the cuff. I don't think that's what we're saying at all. Mm. I think we're both into preparation. <laughs> prepare, but prepare, prepare. Absolutely. But preparation is what allows you to go off script. It, that's right. That's the whole point is yeah. when you've got this strong foundation, then you can play with it. You know, we spend a ton of time preparing, for example, what your questions and what your is an improv game. Totally. But we, it's not like, you know, jazz musicians who do improv that know, yeah. don't know how to play music. Yeah. Right. They know their core vocabulary inside and out. Once they sit down, they can improv because they know their stuff so well. Yeah. That's why they can improv. Yeah. Just a side note. But I love this idea of changing, you know, what you look at and that, that thing changes because yeah. if we view the jurors as the enemy, then we're going to close up. Then we're going to say, I've got to persuade them because they, they hate me. And then we're going to not want to go with the truth of who we really are. Yeah. It all starts with how we think, which is what you guys have been talking about the last <sighs> couple days is that when we start to go into the courtroom and say, these people are not out to get me, they actually want to help me. That changes how we behave, which yeah. allows us to let go of a lot of this bullshit. Yeah. hundred mm -hmm. percent agree. So how do you master performance? That's our next thing that we want to talk about. Well, why don't we ask the question? What's, <laughs> what, what, is, what is mastery to you? We've gotten some great responses already. Yeah. So what, what is mastery? If you're here with us live, go ahead and post in the comments. What do you think it means to master something? And, and we'll give you a little chance to do that. And we'll start with what we think the first ingredient of mastery is and which uh, Jesse said this morning I went brilliant I <laughs> think our number one thing is for mastery here's I think I think it, if you can't get past this one then the rest of the stuff is just honestly it's it's a waste of time and it's 
recognizing the need to master performance. Yes. God, yes. Because so if you much. you don't see the need for it. Right. <laughs> then what are you doing? Absolutely. And so we. really new. What are you doing? But I mean, it's like, what are you, what are you doing? We've been talking a lot about this the last yeah. couple of days. And this idea that in the trial arena, yeah. mastery is not a thing. Right. I'm sorry right. to put it out there, yeah. people. And I'm not blaming you for it because the problem is, at least you think this is the problem, right. is that, well, I can't master trial or trial skills or performance, what we're talking about today, because of some myths. Well, first of all, I don't have a place to practice. Right. I don't go to trial that often. Yeah. So, you know, sorry, Jesse, I get that I should master these things, but, you know, if I don't go to trial that often, then I, I, just, I just can't. And your answer to that is what? What's your answer to that? Um, you're always. Oh, right. I'm sorry. You're I'm like, dude, what you Line. Um, <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> just lovely hearing you talk. Uh, um, you're always preparing for trial. Absolutely. You're always in preparation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it might sound a bit extreme, but I think it's a, it's a good comparison. It's the military. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a military operation. And if they were to, well, waiting around, you know, if, you know, uh, are we'll, we going to we'll, have a war Yeah. Today? And if, and when it comes, then we'll get up and, you know, pull up our bootstraps and, you know, start, you know, marching and stuff like that. And we'll try to, you know, no, every day you're making it as real for yourself as you possibly can. Absolutely. That is so huge. And I think that's the big myth you guys are buying into is that I don't go to trial that often. Therefore I can't master this because I don't have a place to practice. And what we're here to tell you is that you are responsible for really honing your craft day in and day out. If you really want, and you know, my last podcast on the tap into your project or um, tap into your power amplify project one was all about going all in. You cannot half-ass being a trial lawyer. I think we all know this. So if you really want to go all in on being a trial lawyer, you have to prepare yourself and hone your craft every single day. There's no excuse to not master this. Wouldn't you say that's true? hundred percent. You talk about the, the second part of that. Um, and I'm looking up there on the wall is the, are the four pieces, the, mm -hmm. um, the four instructional pieces. Yeah. The kind of the cornerstones of how to master something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think I would love to hear about that. And God knows they would, um, um, because it's important stuff, but I think it also goes back to the why and mm -hmm. what, what, what I hear, what you hear when we talk about, when I talk about, you know, it's, it, I've never heard anybody saying, yeah, you know, I, I, you're absolutely right. I need to practice being a better storyteller. Nobody's ever said that to me. I don't <laughs> and if they did, I would, you know, I, I'd be, I would be really interested to hear the reasons why. Mm -hmm. um, but we often hear when it talks about what it takes to actually uh, master performance or to be in performance mastery is this overwhelm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> and so that has, it, for me, it's like, okay, we could talk about time management till we're blue in the face, but ultimately if you don't have a primary motivation, a why behind why performance mastery, and if it's not, in our opinion, bigger than just quote unquote winning, um, then you're fighting an uphill battle. Absolutely. I think that's, that's 
you hit on something very important there that they believe that the only reason to prepare or practice is because I have a trial coming up. And the only reason that's important is because I have to win the trial. And I think what Jesse and I are saying, and we hope to create a program around this eventually is the idea that this has got to be life wide, right? It's not just about trial in that all of the trial skills that we are going to teach you in our separate programs or any other program they're taking, doesn't have to be just in our program, is that all of those skills are applicable to life and all of the skills that you learn in life are applicable to trial. They are not two separate things. And I think trial uh, attorneys tend to compartmentalize that. They say, these are the trial things I need to learn and I'll learn them when I have a trial, but otherwise I'm just going to put those aside. Absolutely. And I think that's so huge is to decide ahead of time that these are the particular skills that I need to master. And I can practice those skills in a variety of places, in a variety of ways outside of the courtroom. And that is going to help me master these skills. Yes. You cannot master anything without these four things, what I'm going to tell you right now. The first thing is good instruction, right? Jesse and I are the first ones to tell you that we are awesome. But we also are going to be the first ones to tell you that there are a lot of awesome teachers out there. So it doesn't have to be us necessarily, but you have to get excellent instruction. I mean, this is true whether you want to learn the piano, whether you want to uh, learn ballet, whether you want to learn a language. You have to have an excellent instructor. It's one thing to get a book or listen to a tape, and that's a great start, but if you really want to, we're not sitting here talking about how do you become a better trial uh, attorney today than you were yesterday. That's not what we're talking about. Today we're talking about mastery, fucking mastery. So how do you master something? Get a teacher, a master teacher. That's what we're suggesting right now. Jesse is a master teacher. I'm a master teacher. There are other master teachers, but that's the first cornerstone of mastery. The second cornerstone of mastery is you have to practice. There is no way around that. Look, that can mean many things. That can be coming to seminars. That can be going and creating a group in which you practice and you get together weekly or even monthly. That can be um, videotaping yourself and sending it to your teacher, your master teacher, so they can give you feedback. It can be a variety of things. It can be as simple as throwing a dinner party with 10 people that don't know each other and learning how to form the group. I mean, that's what Voidir is. It's a, how do we have a conversation between strangers? How do we get them gelling and talking to each other? You don't have to wait for a trial for that. You don't have to wait for a trial to learn how to tell a story. Sign up at your library and start telling stories there. It's story time. How do I practice listening? How do I practice connecting? Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, we don't want to tease you too much, but Jesse and I are really, one of the reasons we've gotten together over this last couple of days is to look at how can we start figuring out a place and a way for you to practice because we do think that is one of the, one of the hardest things to uh, obstacles that they have. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's the, so first one's instruction. Second one is practice. The third one is feedback, right? So I can go to my teacher and have them teach me and I can go practice my piano at home. But if until I go back and get the teacher's feedback about what it is that I'm doing, Mm -hmm. I'm never going to grow and I'm never going to master Mm -hmm. anything. So I see a lot of you flying from CLE to CLE and going to different places all over the country. And you're trying to get as much instruction as possible, but you're coming back and we all know this is true. We all do it. I do it myself when I go to the to places and we go that was great and then we put down the notes and we never look at them again yeah we're not practicing and not only are we not practicing we don't have any place to get 
feedback on what it is that we're practicing. I, I look at it like you're literally carrying around a second audience with you. Mm -hmm. There's the real audience and then there's the second audience and that's the one that's in your head. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, and whether we like it or not, we can learn how to be more objective about ourselves, but I think we all have a warped perception of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so it just makes sense to be able to have feedback built into your development. Yeah, absolutely. And whether that is, again, from your teacher yeah. or you've created a group that gets together to give people feedback. I can't tell you how many times in our Sunday sessions with the studios where we look at the video and people are like, yeah, I do that. I mean, they have no yeah. idea the things that they're doing yeah. non-verbally, which are huge. And the fourth piece is... I got to have it for me. Yeah. You know, I'd like to think that I'm that great that I can, boom, but uh, absolutely. I, you know, I need the sorries. I need closed mouth understanding friends. I need people that I can work with. Absolutely. I think with the first 10 years I was doing this work, I videotaped everything I did and watched it yeah. to develop myself. I mean, that's one thing right there. Even outside of feedback, your own feedback, actually get some of your own feedback because unless you're walking around with a mirror in front of you all the time, you don't know what the hell you're doing. Right. So videotape yourself doing everything and anything you can and watch it so that you become intimately aware of how you're showing up non-verbally because that's the first level of changing it until you know what you need to change you can't change it yeah right right so the fourth cornerstone which is what you guys are all here for is is community I think that's really a huge part of mastery is that you are with other people who also want to master the skill that you're doing listen I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with all of the information that's out there what I'm saying is what I think is taking many of you off of your game is that you're going from one thing to one thing to one thing to one thing and getting these little pieces of information and you're never integrating it and implementing it so you never feel like you master anything and you're overwhelmed all the time so whatever it is thank you for the love whoever just gave us the love whatever it is that you want to master Pick it, yeah. choose it. Yeah. If it's storytelling, if it's voir dire, if it's listening skills, whatever it is, reptile, I mean, who cares? Whatever it is, and master that instead of taking a little of this, little of this, little of this, little of this, and just always feeling like you have a little bit of everything and like not enough ingredients to actually make a meal. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, well said. All right. So that's what we're talking about today, performance mastery. What questions do you have, those of you who are out there, for either Jesse or I on performance or how to master it or anything else about trial, about opening? Um, what do you have coming up, Jesse, that people can register for? I know we've got our opening statement studio in July. What yeah, I've got a number of programs out there. I probably should pull up the dates. I got one in June. I got one in October. If you go onto the website, it www.tellthewinningstory.com you can see it um, and uh, I think those are the, the remaining two for 2019 um, I'm going to be on the road next week uh, doing a two week trial you so are I'm, on the road I'm, quite a bit yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and so when they come to a seminar of yours what will they learn very much what we're talking about here uh, that when you change the way you look at performance, uh, that is a game changer. Mm -hmm. And when you see performance as the truth, and truth is performance, like we've been talking about, then you develop an entirely different relationship, not just with your audience, uh, not just with your clients, but, um, but the most important juror, and that's you. Mm -hmm. And why so, are they the most important juror? I love that concept. I'm because sure. often they're the last people to get on board. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, what was a little exercise we were talking about over coffee? It's uh, you'll get this. You'll either get 
All right, what's your case case worth? That's you know, it's um, I think it's you know, fifty, you know, fifty million, maybe forty, thirty, twenty, <laughs> twelve million dollars. Yeah, and Justin and I are looking at you. You're our client. We're like, um, we're not buying it. Juror's not going to buy it. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. Or what's his case worth? It's worth fifty million dollars, motherfucker. Yeah, absolutely. There's a huge difference there. Yeah. <laughs> what is that difference? I think it's I think it's this idea of ownership. I mean, I think we're always looking, or they are always looking for something outside of themselves to finally convince themselves that they picked the right number, that they've they've got the right story, that they've got the right strategy, instead of picking something and putting all of their weight behind it. Right? They're always waiting for the 99% sure. We were talking about the whole idea of Jeff Bezos and making decisions when he's 40% sure. And he's yeah. like the most wealthy man on the planet. So right. he's obviously doing something right. Right. But I think that's what a lot of us do. We're like, I can't make this decision unless I'm 99% sure. Because so the most important juror is not on board. Absolutely. So we fitter <laughs> and flood away all the way up, up until trial. And then we get into trial and we have this kind of half-assed communication about the number and our strategy instead of going, you know what, this is the strategy I'm going with. You were talking about this too. They'll come back with like focus groups. They'll go, oh, you know what, we need to change everything because you know the wind is blowing this way. Yeah, the janitor came and said, this is what your case is about. Well, well we should probably look that and check that out, shouldn't we? And I'm not saying don't listen to the janitor. Right. What are you saying? Now? Listen to the janitor. Listen mm -hmm. to everybody. But if you don't know what this case is about for you, yes, for you, yes, good luck. Yeah, absolutely. Good luck. You let let us know how that's working for you. If it's working for you, then be a feather in the wind. Mm -hmm. But that's not going to help you long term. No, I think that's the whole point here is that you need to know what the case is about, and then you take that information and it helps you shape, like fine tune it. Yeah. Instead of oh, we got to scrap that now, and now it's really about this. Yeah. Whatever you go with, yeah. go with it is the point. That sets up everything. That mm -hmm. sets up how you frame the case, mm -hmm. how you sequence the story. That sets up your relationships with your jurors. That's a, that gets the, that is the primary state. I call it the state, the state that we walk into mindset state. Mm -hmm. I think they work very much. Um, they, they coexist together. Mm -hmm. um, but that is really where you want to be because that sets, that creates your entire trial. That that's everything. Mm -hmm. If you're not on board mm -hmm. as the most important juror, mm -hmm. then, um, then I think you're always going to be at the pain points of what we talked about performance. Yeah, absolutely. But if you know something to be true, I know this to be true. Mm -hmm. This is about me and mine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We were talking about this. Listen, the reason why the golden rule is poo-pooed is because it freaking works. <laughs> absolutely. It's Absol not fair. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it, it's you not fair, but that's where you got to start. And mm -hmm. it's that, honestly, I really feel it's that simple. Sorry. Mm -hmm. There's so many different tools of the trade and tricks and all the different stuff that you talk about that I talk about mm -hmm. breathing and connection and staging and all the different tools and techniques that you've done in, in, with leadership groups and teachers and, and I've done with inmates and addicts and theater people and all. That's great, but if you are not on board as mm -hmm. the most important juror, if you don't know deep down, and that's okay if you don't, mm -hmm. at least know and own that I don't know what this case is about. Mm -hmm. I had a lawyer stand up in front of a juror and say those exact words. Really? And I need your help. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he has a brain injury. Mm -hmm. Those are fucking scary words. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna put you to work. Mm -hmm. You decide. Why they decide? He had a brain injury. Oh, I love that. And the yeah. number 
Yeah. Because he didn't up there. He wasn't up there trying to sell him something. Yeah. Well, and that comes back to our point is you don't, I knew you don't need this. to sell anything. You don't need to sell anything. You don't shit. need to sell you anything. trust the story. You trust your, your jury. Trust, your, trust you yourself find, first. But, but trust yourself first. Yes. And this is the area where we always, you know, we talked about this, where we always get the way to way. Do I got to be like Mahatma Gandhi before I go in the court? And do I have to, um, do I have to have a great relationship with my wife? No, you don't have to. Do I have to give up the booze? No. Do I have to? No. But you'll be damn better and happier if you do. If it's, if it's blocking you mm -hmm. in your ability to connect with your jurors, mm -hmm. in your ability to give a killer opening statement, in your ability to just stand there and be present and be raw and real, if that, whatever that is, is getting in the way, mm -hmm. I think take a look at it. Work that shit out. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It, yeah. I mean, that's And the been... byproduct may be um, peace and, and connection, and maybe you do turn into the Dalai. I say just use it, listen to it, and see where that takes you. Well, in my, and again, in my opinion, I don't think that there is a line between what who you are and trial work. It is all trial work is personal work. Everything that you is going on outside of trial, you are bringing into trial with you. And if you've got trouble at home, if you've got a problem with cocaine, if you've got a drinking issue, whatever it might be, that is coming with you. Yeah, absolutely. End of story. Absolutely. And so. Do you have to like deal with all that shit to be great at trial? Not necessarily, but when we're talking about performance mastery, if we're talking about high performing trial attorneys, then absolutely yes, you need to deal with that shit. Okay. That's so, what I'm saying. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, we're gonna we're gonna do some undermining here. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna do the voice of what I hear a lot of. Mm -hmm. And and folks who are listening, tell me if this rings true. You know, all this inner navel gazing shit you guys are talking jurors care about one thing and one thing only that's themselves mm -hmm. that's it yep that's it that's all they care about is themselves so all this other stuff you're talking about how do you how do you address that one well i think jurors do only care about themselves right uh and the only thing that's going to get their attention is a real deal human being right and yeah. when you show up and you've got all your baggage and you close up and you get small and you get worried about having to manipulate these people who only care about themselves, then everything is lost. Mm -hmm. Everything mm -hmm. is lost. And yeah. you're blocked. To use your word, you're blocked. Absolutely. Instead of showing up in front of these people who do only care, most of us only care about ourselves. I mean, let's be real. But when we see someone showing up who is honestly in attempting to connect passionate about their subject and willing to fucking put it out there, that gets our attention. It gets my attention. Absolutely. And, and, and this is why I love the name of your program, your approach, hostage to hero. Mm -hmm. um, I say victim to victor, and mm -hmm. I think they're very, they're very similar. Yeah. And I think what I always say, what we tr talk about is, yeah, that's right. Exactly what you're saying. They do only care about themselves. So until they don't, until they don't. Yeah. Until they don't. And there is the scare element and then there's the care element mm -hmm. where you want to ultimately shift them to. And I think the point is when we talk about the most important juror and arming the most important juror, that's you, is that looking at those areas of your life with care, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
with hopefully non-judgment mm -hmm. and to say, how can I use those areas of my life that I want to sweep under the rug, that I want to call deplorable, that I want to say are the worst that's in me? How could that possibly be valuable? Mm -hmm. If I change my thinking around them and say, okay, I'm just going to stop fighting them so much and see if I can use them. Mm -hmm. um, watch what happens when you're in front of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. What we don't want to do is to present the most polished, shiny version of ourselves to a jury it's because bullshit. it's bullshit. Yeah. yeah I'm it's not saying you should stand in front yeah. of them and tell them about your fucked up childhood. No. But I think going back to the whole idea of nonverbals is that you communicate who you are. Right. You cannot hide that. That you just can't. I mean, there are some people that can put on a pretty damn good show. But you know what? That's exhausting. It's exhausting. And so putting on a show is very different than being a high performer, mastering performance. And, you know, if they're putting on a good show and they're getting great results, great, fine, yep. whatever. But eventually you've got to walk off the stage mm -hmm. with yourself. Absolutely. And what do you want to be? Where's Who do you want to be? Where's the courtroom then? Who do you want to be? Absolutely. And so what's the role when you walk off the stage? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You're still you. Absolutely. But maybe in a bigger or different a different you. A different you? Yeah, which is an authentic, which yeah. is our whole point. Yeah, and for me, I think in terms of trial skills and what we want to do inside the courtroom and outside, it's they are inseparable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really believe that. Absolutely. And so that's what Jesse and I are on a, on a mission to do, and we're just starting our journey, and we don't know what it's going to look like yet, but we'd love to hear from you, is that we are looking at how do we start changing not just how you guys are approaching trial, but how you're approaching life. Because you have one of the most difficult jobs on earth. And if we just continue to focus on trial skills, that doesn't serve you. And this isn't about navel gazing or woo woo shit. It's about figuring out how to work with all of you so that you can bring your whole person, not just to trial, but to your life and find happiness and contentment there. Because so many of you are unhappy and worried and stressed and, and we worry about that. We have, we have a heart for you. You know, I, I do have a heart. I know it doesn't sound like it sometimes, but um, cause I'm so mean to you guys. So you're all <laughs> are you mean to them? I sometimes. Really? Yeah. Can they hire me. I could see them. that. Yeah. I could see that. Totally. But, but, Love, tough love tough is still love. Tough love, absolutely. Still love. So we have a heart for you, not just so that you will kick ass at trial. We love when that happens, but we think something deeper is needed. What that <laughs> what that looks like, we don't yeah. we don't know yet. This, I think it's this. I have a heart on. You're doing what? <laughs> okay, we're having way too much fun, and now we're going to have more fun without you. But we and have enjoyed talking with you. Thanks for being. Thanks for having me. Yeah. This is so cool. So fun. Yeah. Um, we'll upload this to the podcast for those of you who are listening. Um, the podcast. Hello to you. We'll be up this weekend. Um, but thanks so much for being with us, and let us know either in the group or you can email us about. Hey, this would be great to have a program that addresses this. We're in that stage now of, of kind of learning about what you guys need and, and seeing if we can maybe meet that need in some way. And so stay tuned for more. But we thought since we were together in LA, we'd, we'd go live to, together today. Cool. Thanks for being with us, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Check, check out story.com and uh, sign up for our opening statement if you haven't already. Thanks so much. See you later. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com, for other must-have resources from Sari Delamart.
read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sari's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. We're glad you joined us today. And until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself.